Welcome to the Apostolic Keynote Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church. This message is by Colin Urquhart. And last Tuesday, we had part two of that, where we saw that behind the events, there is the spiritual message, the gospel, that what is actually happening is God is preaching the gospel to us through events. And this morning I'm going to give you part three, and we're going to seek to get through the rest of Mark. Now, obviously we can't do that uh, in detail, but this is the last session that we have, uh, last keynote during this term, and uh, therefore I want to try to give you the whole picture. So although we're going to have to skate over uh, several events and passages very quickly, you will easily get the message, if you like, of this gospel, so long as you remember one thing, that it is all about the kingdom of God. Now, we saw in chapter 1 that the first thing that Jesus said was, the kingdom of God is at hand. The time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And we've seen the message behind all the events, how first God wants to clean up our lives from spiritual leprosy, wants to deliver us from spiritual paralysis, and so on and so on. Everything that we've learned last week. I'm not going to repeat it again that the message of the gospel is there behind the events. And then we, we reached the point last week where Jesus took three of the disciples up the Mount of Transfiguration. There they saw him in his glorified body. There they saw him in the fulfillment of the kingdom. They saw him in the glory that is his in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And you remember we saw right at the end that when they came down the mountain, the other nine disciples had failed to heal the epileptic boy. But immediately Jesus demonstrates that the glory of the kingdom is greater than anything that can happen in the natural. So although the disciples had failed to heal the boy, Jesus immediately heals him. Now, we've seen also that there is not a great deal of teaching in Mark's Gospel, that it's mainly narrative of the events that took place in the life of Jesus. But actually, we do come to the um, section, really, if if you can call it that, where we have uh, some teaching. It's, It's a bit different from some of the passages that you have in the other Gospels, because again, it's just dealing with one thing after another. But the, the key to understanding what uh, is being presented to us is this business of the kingdom. So if we start this morning in where well, we left off last time, in chapter 9 of Mark, verse 13, there comes the question as to who is the greatest. The greatest where? In the kingdom of God. Now, the word kingdom isn't mentioned here, but this is the subject. 
So Jesus is saying to the 12, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Jesus said, didn't he, that he did not come to, to be served but to serve. Why? He came with the message and the life of the kingdom. And he said, if you're going to be great in the kingdom, you're going to be the least of all. You're going to be the greatest servant. So Jesus has been exalted to the highest place in heaven by the Father because he was faithful as the greatest servant. And we, if you like, are forming our eternal destiny by the way in which we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and we live out our lives as servants. Servants of God, but therefore servants of the kingdom. Like Jesus, we're sons of God, we're children of God, and yet servants. And the more we serve, the, the, the greater our servant heart, uh, the, the greater actually our place in God. That's really what uh, Jesus is saying. Then he's, he's warning them that there will always be opposition. Opposition to what? Opposition to Jesus, yes, but opposition to the kingdom of God. Why? Because the world is the kingdom of this world. It's under the spirit of this world. So you bring the life and the spirit and the power and the anointing of the kingdom, and immediately you're going to come up against the opposition. But as Paul was to tell us later, the opposition isn't people. The opposition are the spiritual powers of wickedness that actually operate through people. So we come up not so much against people, but we come up against the spirit that is there operating in and through their lives. But all those who actually help us and aid us, whether they're believers or not, in our mission to share in the ministry of Jesus, to continue the ministry of Jesus in bringing the kingdom of God to earth, they will be rewarded. So Jesus makes this astonishing statement. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. So not only is there great reward for those who live as servants of the kingdom, but God will even reward those who help those who are living as servants of the kingdom. So much is this God's purpose that the kingdom of God will come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is his passion. I was talking to us the other day about being passionate. Well, this is his passion to see the kingdom of God. So <clears throat> then there is a warning that if you do anything to actually hinder people coming into the kingdom, that brings people under judgment. Uh, he, he actually makes these uh, astonishing statements, verse 43 of chapter 9. If, you, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than that is enter into the life of the kingdom than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. 
And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. See, it's all about the kingdom. Everything is to be devoted, everything in your life is to be devoted to the cause of the kingdom. Then he makes this important statement in verse 49. Everyone will be salted with fire. The fire of God as we've known because if you remember right at the beginning of term, we had that evening of uh, the first encounter evening where the fire of God really touched people's lives. That fire purges and cleanses all the sin that is a contradiction to the life of the kingdom, but it also inflames our hearts with love and passion for God and therefore passion for his kingdom purposes. So, you know, God's call upon the life of every one of us is to be servants of the kingdom, to promote the cause of the kingdom. Our ministries may be different in that, but they are all part of that common cause. So we want to keep our lives good and salty. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? So have salt in yourselves and live at peace with each other. Then Jesus talks about things like divorce, Really, really, all within this context, in the king, what, we're, what he's promoting is the life of the kingdom, not the way that people live in the natural. And then the little children that, that come to Jesus. Uh, he says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Humble, innocent, in, in the sense of dependent. Children are dependent upon their father. And as children in the kingdom of God, we are dependent upon our heavenly Father. So let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, belongs to the humble. Blessed are those who know their need of God. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. So I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. It's all about the kingdom. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Then we have the rich young man who comes. You see, it's, the message is there. It's, it's teaching, but it's all through these events. The little children, now the rich young man. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is the same question as, what can I do to belong to the kingdom of God? Eternal life, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, these are all inter. Uh, related ways of expressing the same thing. So uh, Jesus says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. That's not an indication that everybody's got to sell everything they have, but for this man, the stumbling block was his wealth. He depended upon his wealth, and he could never really be part of the kingdom of God if he, unless he depended upon God. So he had to stop depending upon his wealth uh, in order that he could then depend upon the Lord. But then you see, because this is all about the kingdom, Jesus says in verse 23, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Just think, every time you read this gospel, just think, well, actually all the gospels, kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. In John's gospel, he mentions kingdom early in chapter 3, but then he uses the phrase eternal life more. But he's talking about the same thing. So how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. 
It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, simply because he depends upon his wealth instead of upon the Lord. Hallelujah. Then Jesus talks in different ways that as servants we give. We live to give, we live to bless, we live to serve. So he says in verse 29, I tell you the truth, of chapter 10, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So here he is saying, this is the principle. This is one of the main principles of the kingdom. The measure you give is the measure you get back. But what God does is he gives good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So it may mean that you have to put your kingdom priority above all your background of natural family. Uh, I know for, from, from, the time, from the time that... Um, the revival started in Luton in 1970, I saw very little of my parents because although I would honor them as, as my parents, there was no time because I was preoccupied with the work of the family of God, with the life of the kingdom of God. That had priority even over everything else. And what Jesus says is that when you have the right priorities, God gives back to you mothers, brothers, sisters, everything. Everything comes multiplied to you. So, you know, you have a small nuclear family. That nuclear family is to serve the cause of the kingdom. And if your nuclear family serves the cause of the kingdom, then God gives you back a much bigger family. You become a much bigger family. And, of course, what uh, Jesus is saying is you are to think of yourselves as family. You are to think of yourselves uh, as uh, as this is the family to which you belong. When we lived in community, we had, always had a, a very interesting situation to face at Christmas time. Because, of course, we were involved in the work of the kingdom. We didn't, this was before we had the church. But everybody, everybody in the kingdom had a minister, uh, in, in the community, had a ministry that was related to the work of the kingdom. Either they were in the teams that were going out, or they were supporting in prayer the teams, or they were supporting the families and so on. But everybody was involved. It was just as important the people that stayed at the base as those that were actually going out. Uh, we were a big family. We shared everything in common. Nobody possessed anything. We lived Acts 2 and Acts 4, uh, as you read it in the scriptures. Nobody counted anything of their own and so on. So we lived as a family and, and everything was getting geared up towards Christmas was as a family. But then, of course, we all belong to a natural family. So the question always arose, where should we be on Christmas Day? And you see, we came to the conclusion we should all be together as the family of God celebrating the nativity of our Savior. Then on Boxing Day, we went and paid honor to our natural family. So everybody dispersed and they went and spent a few days with their natural family. But Christmas Day, we decided that the priority was to be together as the family of God. And I think it's very important that we have a Christmas Day service, that we actually express our unity together in the family of God. Uh, 
We give all honor at the same time to our natural family. But you see, this is how Jesus thinks. We saw last time that he said, you know, who is my brother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? And he pointed to the disciples and, and all those that were sitting around. Listen, here is my mother. Here is my brother. Here is my sister. This is your family. Because you are now part of the family of the kingdom of God, not just of a natural family. Now, of course, what God intends is that everybody in your natural family is serving the Lord, is serving the cause of the kingdom, that they are all devoted to the cause of the kingdom. And, of course, if the head of the family is devoted to the cause of the kingdom, then the rest of the family is devoted to the cause of the kingdom. Are we getting this? Hallelujah. So <clears throat> then we, Jesus actually predicts his death. We'll come to that in a little while longer. And when he does that, James and John have this, this question, well, we want to be your right hand in your heavenly kingdom. And Jesus deals with that, but it's all about kingdom. Then we have the healing of blind Bartimaeus. Now, what was uh, on the lips of blind Bartimaeus? Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. What, uh, what lies behind this? We're all spiritually blind, but to belong to the kingdom of God, we need the mercy of God. And we always continuously need the mercy of God. That became evident in the early part of the gospel. It's still evident. Everything depends upon the mercy of God. Hallelujah. Then we have the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. This is prophetic of his triumphant entry into the heavenly Jerusalem. You see, behind this event, Jesus at last is being acknowledged as Messiah, as King, as Savior. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. It's all about entering into the kingdom. And the people, of course, are acclaiming him for the glory that is upon him. Then we come to the cleansing of the temple. Now, this is an event that took place in the physical temple in Jerusalem, like all the other events that we talked about last time. But behind it, of course, is a spiritual message that in order for us to enter into the glory of the kingdom, the temple has to be cleansed. What temple? Well, the church is a temple of living stones, Peter tells us. So the church has to be cleansed in order that it can enter into its destiny as the kingdom of God, as the people of the kingdom of God. But each one of us is a temple. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit cleanses the temple, cleanses and keeps the, te the temple clean so that the presence of God can be expressed in our lives, so the life and the power of God can be expressed through all that we do. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. So then we come to what is usually known as the prayer of faith, when Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray with faith. It's all about authority. Remember how we saw last time, authority, authority, authority. Authority in what he said, authority in what he did, authority in the decisions he made, the authority in cleansing the temple. And this was the thing that riled the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees more than anything else, the way that Jesus 
actually exercised authority. Where do you get this authority? They were constantly questioning him about his authority. And Jesus is, is saying to these disciples, when you belong to the kingdom, you have the authority of the kingdom. So when you pray, you pray with authority. You pray with the authority of the kingdom. You speak to mountains and they move. Why? Because the authority of the kingdom is much greater than anything that can happen in the natural. So even as we saw last time, Jesus stills the storm. Peace be still. Why? Because he has kingdom authority. And the kingdom authority can even overcome the natural elements of creation. And I think I told you about one or two incidents where we've actually seen that happen. The weather change immediately, immediately, we exercised authority uh, in the name of Jesus. You know, a, a pea soup of fog, which was too thick to drive, in five seconds was lifted, just disappeared in, as a result of prayer. Nothing is impossible for God. Amen? Because the kingdom is so much greater than the natural order. So he says in verse 24, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, because you've got this assurance of the kingdom, you see, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. The mercy again. The mercy, the mercy, the mercy. Just as God has mercy and we can only belong to the kingdom of God because of his mercy, so we must consistently every day, even every time we pray, he says, be sure that we're in that place of mercy towards others. Otherwise, God will not be merciful to us. The only way in which we can express the life of the kingdom is, of course, in the power of the Spirit, but that means through the mercy and the grace of God. The mercy and the grace of God are to be operating in our lives every day so that we can express the life of the kingdom. Are you there? Then there's the parable of the tenants. You see, God's purpose was for the kingdom of God to be expressed among his people Israel. But Israel had rejected him. The leaders, the religious leaders had rejected the prophets. And now they were rejecting the Son of God. And so what does Jesus say? He will give the kingdom to others who will actually look after it in the sense that they will promote the kingdom of God. They will not stand against the, the kingdom of God. Then there's the business about paying taxes to Caesar. See, very practical things all the time. It's not just um, <clears throat> uh, theoretical teaching that Jesus is giving. Uh, what, what, what should we do about paying taxes to the Romans? Jesus says, well, you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, to God what belongs to God. You have to live in the natural world and do what you should do in the natural world, but you are one who belongs to the kingdom. So what matters is what you do in giving to God as one who belongs to the kingdom so that he can rule and reign. Remember, the kingdom of God is not a place. It's where the rule and the reign of God is established. So as you give, again, it's giving as you give to God what belongs to God. So his sovereign rule and reign is expressed in your life. Then we come to the widow's offering. You see, what, what, what does she do? She, she doesn't have much to give, but she gives her all for what? For the kingdom of God. For God, why? To promote the kingdom. She puts her all in. And Jesus says, that's worth a lot more than the bags of gold the wealthy are putting in. 
because that small change to them, but the widow's two mites, that is her soul, um, all her resources, which she has to live on. So that is a, a much greater sacrifice, means much more in kingdom terms. Then we have all about the signs of the age when the kingdom of God is going to, to come again and, and so on. There's no time to go into uh, all the details uh, about that. So what we, we come to now is all the events of the passion itself, the events leading up to the crucifixion and then all the details of the crucifixion itself. And Mark, like Matthew and, well, like all the other three Gospels, devotes several chapters, long, they're long chapters in Mark, um, to the events. Now, what we've been saying in these messages is behind the events is the spiritual message. And I trust that now you see that every time you read one of these events, you don't just consider the event, but you say, what is the spiritual message? What is the kingdom message behind the event? Now, you have been doing this ever since you first became a Christian with the cross. So I'm not telling you something new or strange. I'm telling you that just as you have always done with the cross, so you need to do with all the scriptures, especially all the scriptures in the gospel. You see, what, what does the cross mean to you? You, you read all the details of the events of what took place, the trials that Jesus had, the scourging that Jesus experienced, the actual details of the crucifixion, things that he said while he was on the cross, how he dealt with the two others that were crucified with him, all practical details, what happened when he died, what happened to his body, um, how... Uh, he then, then, of course, in, in the resurrection appearances, but everything about the cross, all those details you know and are there. But actually, that is not what the cross means to you. What the cross means to you is what it signified, what happened, the spiritual reality that was behind the event. And, of course, we read in Isaiah 53 the end of 52 and 53, what it, it signified. I'm just going to read the truth version of that prophecy of the cross. I'll read the truth version because it'll come a little bit more fresh to you. My servant whom I send shall act with wisdom. He will be raised from the dead, will be lifted up and exalted in heavenly places. But first many will be appalled at the sight of him, for no man could look as disfigured as he. Through what he suffers, he will look barely human, and yet what he does will affect nations, and rulers will stand silent before him. Even those who heard nothing of him will see him. Those who have not heard his message will understand who he is. Who is prepared to believe what we say? To whom will the Lord's mighty power be revealed? As a child, he grew up like a tender root, springing up in arid soil. He did not come in glory and majesty, so there was nothing in his appearance to attract people or cause them to desire him. People despised him and rejected him. He was a man of sorrow who was called to suffer. So greatly was he despised 
but people did not want to look at him nor acknowledge his greatness. Yet he took upon himself all our diseases and suffering. Even so, we thought of him as being punished by God, deliberately made to suffer affliction. But it was our sins that truly caused him to be pierced. It was our disobedience that made it necessary for him to be crucified. He suffered our punishment on our behalf so that we could have peace with God. It was because of the lashes he received that we are healed. Each one of us is like a sheep who has strayed, choosing to turn to his own way. Even so, it was the Lord himself who placed on him all our sins. He was oppressed as he suffered, yet said nothing in protest. He was like a sacrificial lamb being led to the slaughter, like a sheep that says nothing to its shearers. Oppression and judgment caused his death. So who can speak of his descendants? He was taken from among those whom he lived, but it was their rebellion that caused his suffering. He was made to die like a criminal, even though he was not guilty, had never acted violently, nor said an untrue word. Yet he was buried in a tomb of the wealthy. It was God's will to make him suffer and be crushed like this. It was the Lord who caused him to be a sacrifice made on behalf of our guilt. As a result, he will have many children who will live with him forever. God's purposes will be fulfilled because of him. After his suffering, he will be raised to life, satisfied that he has fulfilled his calling. Through knowing what he has accomplished, many people will be made acceptable to God, made righteous in his sight. He will then reign where he belongs and will offer to God the harvest of souls who have been redeemed through his death. The harvest made possible because he died the death of the guilty, carrying the sins of humanity on his innocent shoulders. So his blood now intercedes before God on behalf of all sinners. Wonderful. But you see, when you read the events in Mark or the other Gospels, you don't read all of that. You read the events, the, the details of what actually took place. But behind all that is the spiritual reality of why it happened, of what was taking place, of what God was accomplishing through the sacrifice of his son. So you see, this principle of not just looking at the events, but seeing the spiritual reality and message behind the events is how we should really uh, view all scripture. But it's particularly true of, uh, of Mark's gospel because, as I explained last time, of the way that the, really the genius of the Holy Spirit in actually bringing the whole message of the kingdom through these events. So that we can see not only that God's purpose is for the kingdom to be extended, but what that actually means and how we are to live as those who serve the cause of the kingdom. Then, of course, at the end of Mark, there are the resurrection appearances. And you see, the same principle applies here. All we have is just bare details. We don't have um, uh, as much information as we have in the other Gospels. But we have this information that Jesus fulfilled his prophetic word and he rose on the third day from the dead and appeared to the disciples in his resurrection body. Though that, that is what happened, and we can read in the other Gospels 
what happened in those, uh, in those encounters that they had with him in his risen body. But you see, what does it all signify? What does it mean? We don't actually celebrate the fact that Jesus came and stood among the disciples uh, in, in, when they were shut away, locked away for fear. But we know that happened. But what matters to us is the spiritual reality that lies behind the events. That because Jesus was raised from the dead, because we were crucified with him, therefore we were raised to new life with him. And because he ascended into glory, we are seated in heavenly places with him. See, it's the spiritual reality behind the events that really matters to us. And that now we are able to live and reign with him as those who belong to the kingdom here on earth. Now we can exercise the authority and the power of the kingdom in the way that God intends. But we shall enter into the fullness of the reality of that kingdom. When, when our life on earth is finished, when Jesus comes again, or when he takes us home to be with him in his glory. It's the spiritual reality behind the events that matter. And it's good, it's okay if, you know, some churches uh, have festivals to celebrate the events. That's fine, so long as when they do that, what they're thanking God for is the spiritual reality that lies behind the event. <coughs> But whether you do that or not, we live in the good of all that Jesus has accomplished. So, you know, you can read all of... I'm uh, sorry that we sort of rushed through this last part, but you, you get the point. And whenever, whenever you look at actually at any of the Gospels, but particularly this Gospel, when, when you're reading it, when you're reading even an event, just something that happened, all you have to do is ask yourself, what does this teach me about the kingdom? About the reality of the kingdom in my life today? That's the point. That you see, heaven and earth will pass away. Mark actually quotes this. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. These are the words of eternal life. These are the words of the kingdom of God. These are the words of God's eternal kingdom. Amen? And behind the words is the reality. So God's purpose is for us not just to know the scriptures, not just to study the scriptures, but to be living in the reality of the kingdom and the kingdom to be a reality in our lives because God's mission for us as the church, and this is why... Um, we're, we're, we're having these weeks of, of studying Jesus in, in Mark, especially in Mark chapter 1, because everything that happens really in the life of the church and in our lives individually is to be related in some way to the cause of God's kingdom. Amen. If it doesn't serve the purposes of the kingdom, it's not worth doing. We may as well scrap it. Uh, we, can, we can get involved in all kinds of activity that is interesting and, and we, may, we may enjoy, but actually it's useless because it doesn't bear lasting fruit unless it promotes the life of the kingdom. So praise God, every time you bring someone to the Lord, the kingdom of God is extended. The word of God increases. 
as we read in, in the Acts of the Apostles. So we are part of this great mission. And it doesn't mean that you have to be a great and wonderful evangelist or anything like that. You simply have to fulfill whatever God's calling is upon your life individually. But what it does involve is having a kingdom mindset. You see, the problem <clears throat> for most Christians is they have a church mindset rather than a Christian mindset. And what they're promoting is the church. Now, Jesus never tells us to promote the church. He says, you go and preach the kingdom and I will build my church. And wherever, wherever we fulfill uh, his call to promote the kingdom, he builds church. I don't mean he builds necessarily people coming together to have services, because that's not necessarily really church. You know, there are some enormous churches in, in some countries, some in the States, which are not really churches, they're preaching stations. There's somebody with an anointed preaching ministry and everybody loves to go and sit under the anointed teaching every week, but there's not necessarily any ministry going on in the lives of all those that are there listening to the teaching. Can you understand? It's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean that the body is actually living as the body of people that are continuing, everybody continuing to um, promote the life of the kingdom by fulfilling the ministry that God uh, is calling them to fulfill. This is very important to understand uh, what um, Paul is saying about the fivefold ministry. You know, it was he, it was Jesus who gave some to, to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's work, people for works of service. You see, as we saw, to, to Jesus, what matters is that you serve. You serve the life of the kingdom. You live as a son and you serve as a servant. Amen? Jesus lived as a son of God, but he lived as the servant, the greatest servant of all. Well, that's what he wants to replicate in us. So the fivefold ministry exists not to lord it over everybody or just to be a leadership ministry, but to prepare the people for works of service. What matters is what all the people are doing to actually serve the cause of the kingdom and therefore to promote the purpose of God. Now, when the people are performing their works of service, what is the outcome so that the body of Christ may be built up? So God says, I will build my church, but how does he build his church? Through the works of service of the people. And what is the purpose of the fivefold ministry? To release the people into their works of service. Amen? So it's a sign of good health that there is such a high proportion of the church here that are in the small groups, because it's through the small groups that many of them are expressing their ministries corporately. I mean, we all have our individual ministries in our personal witness. 
so, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, you see, this is such a wonderful scripture because God has given us the fullness of Christ. But how do we attain that? How, how do we actually see that fullness expressed in our lives? Through the works of service. Through the body of Christ being built up. Through therefore becoming mature believers. It's a, it's a whole process that God is taking us through, but it begins with the works of service. And the works of service, you see, begin not just with having a servant heart, although, of course, that's essential, but understanding that you are called by God to fulfill, to complete the suffering of Christ. What, what does that mean? Because, I mean, Paul says that that's what he's called to, to complete, that's what we're called to, to complete the suffering of Christ. It's to continue the ministry, the witness of the kingdom of God in the world that Jesus began. No matter what the cost, no matter what the opposition, no matter what the persecution, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, not the cross of Jesus, but his cross. So you're supposed to have a cross to take up. And the cross, the cross is, signifies suffering. It signifies all kinds of, uh, of cost that there, that there may be in fulfilling the purpose of God. Nobody is ever going to fulfill the purpose of God for their lives without cost. I would even say without great cost. If you're not prepared to pay great cost in the sacrifice of your life, that your body becomes a living sacrifice, then you're not devoted to Jesus or to the cause of his kingdom or to his purposes. It's only if you're ready to embrace the cost, embrace great cost, that no matter what it's going to require of you, what, in what ways you need to deny yourself to put Jesus first in your life, you know that that is the only way to fulfill the call of God upon your life. Because that's his call upon every Christian. And that's why, you know, I, I kept saying, uh, we'll leave the call of the disciples to the end. Because, you see, what the disciples were faced with right at the very beginning was it's all or nothing. You either leave your nets and follow me, or you don't. And as we saw, you can't drag your nets with you. You can't hold on to the past. There is a clear separation from who and what you were in the world and who and what you are in the kingdom. The old has gone and the new has come. You are a new creation. You have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And you see, behind even this first of the Gospels to be written, uh, Mark's Gospel, behind all this is the knowledge that Mark would have had of the spiritual truths, of the spiritual reality. And what he wants is to convey the message of the kingdom of God through the events that took place in the life of Jesus. Anybody can read these events and see them for what they are, as events. But the spiritual people, the spirit people with spiritual understanding, will look at these events 
and understand the spiritual reality that lies behind the events. That God, through the wonder of the incarnation of his Son, is actually making it possible for us to belong to the kingdom, to live the life of the kingdom here on earth, and for God's kingdom purposes to be fulfilled. That's the amazing love and grace of God. That's the great privilege of being called to be disciples. That's the great responsibility of living as disciples. And because of the cross, because of the mercy of God, and because of our need for that mercy to be new and fresh in our lives every day, when we fail to accomplish or what God intends, when we fail to be what he wants us to be and to do what he wants us to do, God doesn't wash his hands of us. He doesn't throw us out of the kingdom. He doesn't say, well, I'll find someone else to serve the cause of my kingdom. No, he stays with us. He sticks with us. Because he never makes a mistake in the people that he calls. And he knows that no matter what it is, you might go through at times. You might go through a spiritual struggle. You might go through a time of deep darkness. You might be in, the, in a deep valley where you lose all sense of the presence of God. That happens to all Christians at times. But in those times, you learn the faithfulness of God. You learn that he is always with you. You learn that he will never leave you or forsake you. You learn that he takes you through the deepest valley. He brings you out into a fresh mountain top. He renews your life. He, he restores your soul. He revives you. Because it is his purpose, and he has come to live in you by his spirit in order for you to fulfill the destiny to which he has called you. Let's all stand. Come into the middle. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you don't play games with us. Thank you that you haven't called us just to enjoy a nice spiritual life. But thank you that you've made us part of your kingdom purposes. Thank you, Lord, for all the privileges of being the children of God. Thank you for the new life that you've given us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the inheritance that we have as co-heirs with Christ. We thank you especially for all that you suffered for us on the cross. But Lord, we don't focus so much on the suffering, but what that suffering accomplished, what it achieved. We thank you that we live in the good of the victory that you won over sin, over guilt, over Satan, over sickness, 
over every negative thing. Lord, we realize people can watch a film about the crucifixion and not understand why <coughs> Jesus was crucified or what was accomplished through his crucifixion. But we live in the good of that, Lord. We live in the reality. We live in the spiritual truth of all that you have done for us. And we thank you, Lord, for your call upon our lives that we wouldn't be here if you hadn't called us to follow you, to be your children. Thank you for your call upon our lives to be servants. And you want us to be great in your kingdom. You actually desire that we become great because we live as great servants. We live to serve. We live to give. We live to bless. <coughs> and we praise you, Lord. We bless you. We, we glorify your wonderful and holy name. And Lord, we can never look ahead to see all that you're going to do and accomplish through our lives. We can't see the fruit that your Holy Spirit will produce through us as we trust in you and walk in loving obedience and fellowship with you. Nor, nor Lord, can we see what it may cost us at various times to be faithful and obedient to you to fulfill the destiny to which you call us. But Lord, we know this, that the cost is as nothing compared with the blessings. Amen. The cost is as nothing compared with the cost that you paid for us on the cross. The cost is nothing compared with the eternity of glory that we will share with you afterwards. So we bless you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. Korat, come on. Let's, let's really pour out our hearts to him now. Gloria letto colosotto di sandaria letto colosotto di sandara masudama. Palaria letto colosotto di sandaria letto colosotto di santum. Palaria letto colosotto di sandaria letto colosotto di santum. Palaria letto colosotto di sandara bacalatunama. Hallelujah. Gloria letto colosotto di sandaria letto colosotto di santum. Proria letto colosotto di sandalato colosunama. Proria letto colosotto di sandalia letto colosotto di sandalato. Lord, we thank you that it was in love that you predestined us to be your, to be your sons, to be your children, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with your pleasure and will. It was your pleasure to make us your children. 
It was your will to call us, to make us your own. Out of all the mass of humanity, in love you predestined us to belong to you. But we thank you, Lord, in that same love you predestined us to fulfill the kingdom ministries to which you call us. And even if some of us in this room aren't yet clear about the nature of that kingdom ministry that will develop in the future, our trust is in you, Lord, that you will lead us step by step in the way in which you want us to go, and you will enable, you will enable that ministry to develop, to grow, to become what you want it to be, and to have the effect that you want it to have, to bear the fruit that you want it to produce. But I thank you, Lord, that every person in this room has that call upon their lives. And Lord, there are some that begin to fulfill your calling, and for one reason or another, they opt out. But we are not those who opt out. We don't belong to those who opt out, either now or any time in the future. But we thank you for the perseverance of faith. And we thank you that perseverance will finish its work. Hallelujah. That through that perseverance, through that spirit of faith, through that spirit of persevering faith, we will come through to the fulfillment of everything that you have planned, of the full destiny that you have for each one of us that we will see the agenda for our lives that you have as part of your overall purpose. We will see those agendas fulfilled for the glory, honor, and praise of your name. And we bless you. Come on, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's, let's just praise him. Just praise him. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Pororia letto colosotri, sandalia letto colosotri, sandalia. Pororia letto colosotri, sandalia letto colosotri. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Coloria letto colosotri, sandalia letto colosotri. Pororia letto colosotri, sandalia letto colosotri, sandalia. O papapara zandaria letto colosotto di sandoma. Now the Lord has taught me that the cost is simply cost to the flesh. And in the flesh there dwells nothing good. Amen. The spirit enables. Amen. And if it's costly to the flesh, well... What does that matter? We're talking about eternal realities here. We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about God's eternal kingdom. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God doesn't call you to a nice life. He calls you to a kingdom life. Jesus didn't come and lived a nice life. He lived a kingdom life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your holy name. When we live, began to live in community, and in community you own nothing, you know, everything is the Lord's. It was for us at that time. It wasn't just the action of deciding to live like that in obedience to the Lord. It was what it signified in us that we were prepared to give our all for God. That's what it signified. Now, God is not necessarily calling everybody here to a community lifestyle. I'm not suggesting that. But God does bring us to the point where we are prepared to give our all to him. To acknowledge that that's what he did on the cross. He purchased us for himself. He purchased men for God. He purchased us with his blood. So we do not belong to ourselves. We belong to him. My wife and I have been married now 56 years, but when we got married, made it very clear. Caroline was not number one in my life. Jesus would always be number one. Always. And I wouldn't want to be number one in her life. Jesus is number one in her life. Everything flows out of the centrality of Christ in our lives. So can you thank him that he paid the price for 100% of who you are? He didn't purchase part of you. He purchased the whole of you. And whether you live in community or not, it's still true that all that you are and all that you have belongs to the Lord. Your bank balance isn't really your bank balance, it's his bank balance in your name, assuming you have a balance in your bank. Hallelujah. But whatever you have is not really your property. You don't own anything. Because the scripture says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So he is the owner of everything. There may be some things that have your name on it. You might have a car, for example, that is registered under your name. But actually it belongs to Jesus. He just entrusts you to use it in the right way and to keep to the speed limit. Can you imagine Jesus breaking the speed limit? No. I'm being serious. No. Can you imagine that? <clears throat> and we live in him and he lives in us. Everything belongs to the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus.
that that's our security. That's our safety net. Thank you, Lord. To belong to you is to live under your care and protection. Thank you, it's to have the assurance that you will outwork your will and purpose in our lives. Now, I want you to pray for your family. Your, your, first of all, your own natural family, whatever that is, depending whether you're married or not. But let's pray now for your natural family. This is a kingdom family, a family that belongs to the kingdom. Those of you with young children, you bring them up as those who belong to the kingdom. From the earliest understanding that they can have of these things, they will learn that they are a child of God, called to be a child of God. They will come to personal faith Hallelujah. They will, they will fulfill God's kingdom destiny for their lives. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for husbands. Thank you for wives. Thank you for children. For mothers, fathers, other relatives, we thank you, Lord, we belong to these families, just like you belong to a family. But Lord, not even those in your natural family when you were on earth all believed in you. Some of your brothers even ridiculed you. Certainly at first. But we thank you, Lord, that our families are part of a bigger family. The family of the kingdom of God. And Lord, I just pray that we will all see ourselves in the right context. That we're not just building something ourselves for our children, but we are seeing our lives built together with others in the glory of your name for the good and the extension of your kingdom, that our families will serve your kingdom purposes. Even those of you that are not married yet, just be sure that you marry someone who, like you, is devoted to the cause of the kingdom so that together in your marriage you will promote the kingdom of God. Hallelujah you will continue the ministry of Jesus in the world. Whether they have secular jobs or whether they will end up in full-time ministry, that doesn't matter so long as they're serving the cause of the kingdom. Palaria letto colosotri sandaria letto colosotri Palaria letto colosotri sandaria letto colosotri In the Christian community around the world, there are those who go to church. 
And there are those who serve the cause of the kingdom. Just make sure which group you're in. If you serve the cause of the kingdom, of course, you, will, you, will, you won't go to church. You're part of the church. Amen. <laughs> but you're not someone who just goes to church. Not someone who pays lip service to God and to his lordship. But you are called, your destiny is to serve the cause of the kingdom. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.